Hi, and welcome to the Burning Ones podcast. Our desire is to see people all around the world burn for one name, Jesus. We pray that you experience the love and power of Him through this journey. Thank you for joining us, and may burning witnesses arise. I want to take a moment and pray before we consider uh, what we're going to look at together here in Ephesians chapter 2. Because I'm going to ask the Lord tonight to raise up lovers. A people that would love his son above every other. And that he would take those lovers and turn them into laborers. That he would take those lovers and turn them into leaders. I see sometimes our issue is we're trying to turn people into leaders that aren't yet lovers. (laughs) Right? We're trying to get them to be faithful laborers, but they're not even yet faithful lovers. Right? And so I'm going to ask the Lord to take lovers tonight. To do something in our hearts where every other distraction, every other attraction would fall to the wayside, where our hearts would be sifted of all of the things that we're persuaded by, everything that we're satisfied by. And at the end of the day, when we lift our head, that we would see Jesus and Jesus alone. And that this bride, this company of wild ones, this powerful people that are going to make way for the coming again of the King, that are going to make way for the coming again of the king, that our lives would be integrated in to that desire that God has, that he is right now working out throughout the nations of the earth by the power of his own life and spirit. And so we're gonna begin in Ephesians chapter two in just a moment. Um, But Lord, I ask you tonight to do something in the hearts of your people. I pray that the fire would find them tonight and that they would be faithful with the fire, that they would stop flirting with it and that they would be faithful with it. Thank you, Lord, for what you're longing to do in the hearts of your people. And I pray that right where they are, that the fire would find them and that it would redefine them and that it would redirect them. Holy Spirit, do what only you can do. That seems like mission impossible. Bring people to a place where they would no longer live for themselves. Clear the air of the powers of this age, the rulers of this age, the tyranny and the captivity of powers and principalities. Clear the air so that we might see Jesus enthroned above every other. And as we see him rightly, we might be able to respond to him appropriately. Um, This is what we're asking you to do. We know that this is impossible without you doing it. So we pray that you would do it tonight. That you would do it tonight, Holy Spirit. Help us to see Jesus. And tonight when we see him, I pray that we would respond to him the way that he desires and the way that he deserves. We will give you everything. Do that tonight in our hearts, we pray. Jesus is king. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, bro. Yeah, I don't want to forget. 
Hagen has been on keys. Wait, wait, I heard D laugh. You're back. Hagen has been on keys. Ethan has been on guitar. Where is Ethan at? I don't see a hand, but it's also a little tough. Ah, I see that hand, brother. Mike Bajalia has been on bass. Nick Edwards has been in the drum cage throwing it down. Thank you guys, man, for, for rolling with us and being here. It means the world. All of these guys are leaders in their own right. Um, in a natural sense, they have no reason to come and to join us and to do what they've been doing. Um, we're grateful for you guys. We're grateful for you guys. Ephesians chapter 2 and the verses that we're going to consider here together, we're probably just going to read the first 10 verses. And as we do that, you understand as well as I do that the days that we are living in are becoming increasingly dark. It seems like we're living in a twisted moment of history where things that are bad, people are calling it good and they're celebrating it. They're seeming to promote it and push it forward. They're creating agendas and narratives out of wickedness and corruption. There seems to be a rise of things that are just, they're absurd because of how opposite the desires of God seem to be for his people. They're absurd because they are so counter God's love and leadership and the boundaries that he's created in order for his sons and daughters to thrive in the midst of creation as they're stewarding his purposes in the earth. And we realize we don't have to look far, you don't have to look hard, you don't have to listen too long in order to understand that there's just a demonic agenda that has been unveiled and it has been unleashed. It is saturating our nation and it is looking to and longing to infiltrate every sphere and space of our society. And it seems to know no boundaries. It doesn't look for points of resistance as ways to try to stop what it is that it is trying to see pushed forward, but it seems like it is all systems go according to hell and its concern and we're not glorying in the darkness the point has never actually been the darkness right even as we're leaning in towards the end of the age and we understand the escalation of the demonic agenda we realize the crucible of the times and what it is that's going to be unleashed in what Jesus called the darkest hour of human history we understand that the point is not even necessarily all of the darkness, but the real point is going to be the unveiling of the beauty and the worth of this man that is alive from the dead and that's been ascended into the heavens. Just as John knew in Revelation 1.1, the point of the revelation and the book of the revelation is found in the first verse. It's the revelation of Jesus. It's not all of the other nonsense. And not necessarily that it's nonsense in order to trivialize it. Because we understand when Jesus says, the most dark hour of human history, when the Antichrist will take his place and be fully embodied in a man, 
And that man will lead an agenda and the nations will be raging in an unprecedented way. That is the time where we know that we will see the sign of the Son of Man. But right now we are in what we know to be, as many have even considered over these last days, the beginning of those birth pangs. Where the nations are beginning to rage. And even in our own nation, we've understood that there's been a hostility. There's been a, a chaos. There's been a current of pain that's been fueled by darkness. And it knows no bounds. It has attempted to divide us as a people in every possible way. And that has seemed to just be heightened in the way that it's been publicized, politicized, and then experienced on the ground in every city across our nation. And if you cannot realize the demonic agenda, if your heart is not yet alive to the fact that there is a line being drawn in the sand and that there is a choice in this hour to be made, and it's not are you on this side or that side, but even as Joshua encountered the captain of the host of the armies of the Lord, and he said, are you with us? Are you with them? And he said, no. Well, that doesn't really answer my question. Well, it does answer your question because your question is being fueled by the wrong mindset. Your question is coming out of a place where the foundation that brought you even to be motivated to ask the question is entirely off the grid of the way that I'm thinking, no. No to the question, no to the mindset, no to the entire system that's been set up, that you've been conditioned by, that brought you to the point where you felt like that was the appropriate question to ask. There's been a wild attempt to divide us in every possible way. Come on, take a moment and recount all of the attempts to wield a wicked sort of division. And I'm not talking about just in our nation, but it's even infiltrated the church. We've got this side and that side. There's been wars according to mindsets and opinions. Right, at first it was LGBTQ and conservatives. Right? Then it was the Me Too movement because there was an attempt to create rage between men and women. Right? There's always been the political sword. Republicans, Democrats. Then there was the attempt between civilians and law enforcement. Then there's the attempt between black and white. Are you noticing a theme? Are you noticing a trend? There's the, the sword between the progressives in every way, the liberal mindset in culture that wants to advance culture by the agenda that seems to be brought up and out of the motivations in the hearts of men. There's been an attempt in every possible way to divide us. And if we are not careful, then we find ourselves caught up in the current. We find ourselves tossed back and forth by the swirling of events, by whoever's the loudest or the most aggressive, by whoever's the most influential, by whoever can rally the most people. And all of these things, if we are not careful, they begin to condition us and then ultimately disciple us. 
Because there is an intense motive in our culture right now to disciple you. Maybe you haven't actually seen it through that lens. But our culture wants to bring discipleship to your life. The system of the age wants to disciple you according to its ways. And the sad part is, is that for most, or even for some, we don't even understand what is actually happening. And we just get caught up in the midst of the warfare and our hearts get conditioned and we begin to think and then to act out things that are actually coming by way of inspiration by the powers of the air. But we understand that the system of this age is going to pass. That there is not one kingdom that Jesus is returning, trying to integrate into. But when he comes, he will dismantle, he will dis deconstruct, he will tear down. We know not to love the world according to 1 John. We know not to love the world according to 1 John. For he says the world and all of its ways are passing. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. He says, man, if these things are in you, then the love of the Father has not actually accomplished the agenda that it has on the inside of you. Because there is something specific that God has given us his own life through his spirit and the power of that spirit that is at work on the inside of those that belong to him, there is an agenda that it has. Jesus says when the Holy Ghost comes upon you, you're going to receive power. Not power to fulfill your own purpose. Not the harnessing of Holy Ghost power so that you can fulfill the American dream. Not the harnessing of that spirit and that spirit's power just so that we can have charismatic style meetings. Not just so that you can read people's mail. He says, you're going to receive power when the spirit comes upon you and the work of that spirit on the inside of you is going to make you something. It is going to make you a witness. It is going to make you a living demonstration. It is going to bring you into radical alignment with me and my purpose. It is going to synchronize or bring harmony to what it is that I'm about and now what it is that you are about. I'm going to give you power so that you can actually live in the midst of a people and bear witness to them of my desires and my power and all of what I am able to do that is prophesying to what I am ultimately going to do by bringing reconciliation to all of these things in a beautiful way. He says, I'm going to give you power to become a witness because God is longing to raise up a people in this hour who would be a witness, a people who would be a message, messengers who actually embody the message, people who what comes off their lips is in alignment with what's coming out of their life where we just haven't adopted a new language and we're hoping for the best. 
where we haven't just integrated into a behavioral modification program where we sing the right songs and give the right amounts, but on the inside, we still recognize that there is very real corruption and a resistance to Jesus. And even though I sing and I tell people that I believe that I'm actually different and changed, I also understand that there's a very real exterior that I am fueling by my own might. And what's happening out here is actually not real in here. God is gonna raise up witnesses out of this room. People who would be a witness of God's power and his love to our generation. Who like Stephen, when he stood in the streets at the end of Acts six and seven, and in a point of consequence, his face began to glow. When the rubber hit the road and there was a price to pay for his righteousness, when the rubber hit the road and the intersection of the love of self and the love of Jesus met face to face, Stephen stood his ground out in the streets because he was bearing witness to God and to what it is that God longed to see in his moment of history. While they were gnashing their teeth, Stephen was weeping. While they were running in his direction, Stephen was interceding. As they began to wield their stones, ultimately unto the end of his life, he went down crying out that his father would not hold it against them. And Stephen gave his life as a witness, laid his life down as a testimony of God's love, even for his executioners. Man, this is something you can't fake. This is something that's either real on the inside, like God has actually done something to conform me to his image. He's broken all of the tyranny of the self-life and the powers of the age to where I can now joyfully and willingly give my life to God and even unto his purpose, even when confronted by death. Because they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony not loving their own lives, even when confronted with death. In Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to read these first 10 verses. Because Paul says in you, talking to a company of people, they're believers. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly were according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, or the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. And among them, we too, all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God. Man, let me tell you, if there's two words that should bring rejoicing to your life. If there's two words that should soften your heart and put tears out of your eyes, it's these two words, but God. Where would we be if it were not for what the Lord had done? Being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead 
in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ, for by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. For it is the gift of God, and not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Paul begins at least in these verses that we just read, by creating two categories of people. And I think that the consideration at least must be made that Paul is not creating any additional categories. That Paul creates two categories of people. He says that there was a point in which we were all dead in our trespasses and sins. That's all. No one is exempt. That's all of creation. There was a point where we were all dead in our trespasses and sins, in which we walked according to the course of the world. And the course of the world is according to the prince of the power of the air. And the power of the air is what is the inspiration or the infusion of that spirit in the sons of disobedience. And among them, we too, All formerly lived in the lust of our flesh. That word all seems to have come up a few times now. In the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. Paul creates two categories. And Paul is not the only one that creates these two categories so that we just can't assume that Paul had an issue and he just didn't see things the right way. But Paul creates two categories. He says there are those who are bound by the spirit of the age. They're being ruled by the rulers of the age, the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is at work in the sons of disobedience. They are dead in their transgressions and sins. They have not come alive to God. They are not living in union with God's Son by the power of this precious Holy Spirit that God has issued to those who have come to believe and are born again. This category is all. And it's important that we understand that there is no additional category. There is no extra category. I know that in our culture and even possibly in our own hearts, we believe that there's an extra category of people. Well, man, I I know that that sounds kind of rough. Man, but I know a lot of good people. They're just not born again yet. I know a lot of good people, right? They're not murderers. They're not adulterers, right? They're not child molesters and drug addicts and sex traffickers. They're great people, that they fit in an additional category. Mike, it's not right. We just can't have two categories. 
It can't just be those who are alive to God that are living in union with his son that actually have the power of his spirit that are fueling this new creation life and that have a born again nature. There can't just be one or the other and the other being something that doesn't actually sound that great. People that are living under the tyranny of the powers of the air. People that are being ruled over by the rulers of the age. There can't just be two categories. But let me just submit to you that because we've created additional categories, we've lost the urgency of the hour. That because we are making excuses and exemptions for people, the actual crisis of the gospel, the confrontation that the announcement of the gospel is supposed to create in our culture and amongst a people that are not yet alive to God because we are making exemptions for people that are not born again, believing that they're just great people and they've got a good heart. They're just not saved yet. There is no category for good people in what Paul is detailing here. There is no additional category of folks that they're just in a middle, weird, gray, awkward area where they're in the waiting area or the lobby. They're not a part of the bad crowd, but they're not born again yet, but they're somewhere along the way. They're in the middle. There is no extra category because the issue of the gospel is not a good person or a bad person, but it's a dead person and an alive person. And people that are not yet alive are dead. And we're creating exemptions for people that are living in a state of being dead in their trespasses and sins. And Paul says that at one point we all live this way. Think about who you used to be. A prisoner of your own self-satisfaction. A captive of your own self-pursuit. Living this self-centered, me, 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 I, I, I. Do whatever you want. Play whatever games will satisfy you. Right? Think about who we used to be. Think about the real work that had to be done on the inside to transform this nature, to give us a new appetite where we could actually come out of our grave and come alive to God, where the nasty, wicked, rebellious, independent, just the corruption that was real, the decay that was saturating my soul, the cancer that was eating me alive on the inside, the work that God had to do when I saw Jesus by the Spirit and became born again and I was translated, the scripture says, out of a kingdom of the domain of darkness into the kingdom of the dominion of his son that he loves. Man, this was not a game. And Paul says that the rulers of the age are creating a course for this world and that there is a corrupt disobedience that is at work in those that are dead in their transgressions and sins. This is interesting language. It's interesting language. We have to understand the agenda of the powers of the air 
or else we'll never be able to expose them in our own hearts or to identify their work in our city and region or nation. But this isn't some type of blues clues mystery show. Paul gives us the agenda in the verses that we just read. And we need to see with fresh eyes what it is that Paul is communicating. And we need to let these words actually hit our hearts the way that they're supposed to. So that any of that work that has had an effect on us over time through the conditioning of the system of this age can be exposed and we can repent and turn to God so that we can be fully aligned with him in order to fulfill his purpose in our hour of history. But listen to what Paul says. We just read these verses. Among them, we too all formerly lived this way, in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. Let's make this incredibly simple. The agenda of the powers of the air is longing to get you to self-indulge in things pertaining to the mind and to the flesh. This is what I think is right, what I think is the way, what I think I want, whatever I feel is best, whatever I'm hungering or craving for, I should be able to go after and be satisfied by. This is these types of statements where you get to now live your truth. where you get to do your thing, where people now have to make accommodations because of what the I in your life desires. I should be able to live my own way. I should be able to do the things that I want. I shouldn't be subjected to any sort of absolute truth or any sort of power or ruler that's going to rule over me by way of desires that might not yet be mine because I've got a different appetite. I've got a different thought process. I've been conditioned over time to believe that whatever it is that I'm after, I should be able to apprehend. Now, this might not seem like that big of a deal to you. But the powers of the air are longing for a human host on the ground. Powers and principalities are looking for a human host on the ground by way of wielding their inspiration into creation. They can begin to fulfill and see manifested demonic agenda. And it all seems so simple until we begin to calculate what it is that is actually happening. Paul says the powers of the air are bent on pushing you in the direction, on creating a course or a sway where whatever it is that you think or feel is the way that is going to govern your own life. We realize that this is one of the byproducts of the situation that happened in the garden. If you remember what happened in the garden, when the enemy came to them in Genesis chapter three, what did he say to them? 
He says, God knows that in the day that you eat of the tree, that you are going to become like him. But what was the tagline? Knowing good and evil. He said, you're going to be enlightened in the day that you eat of the tree. He said, your eyes are going to be opened. And you at least are going to feel like you have the capacity to be able to bring judgment to issues of right and wrong, good and evil, immoral and moral. This was one of the byproducts. He knows that when you eat of the tree, you're going to be like him and that you're going to know good and evil. Let me just encourage you, we do not have the capacity in and of ourselves as those that have been created to judge between an ultimate sense of immorality and morality. Because we, in many instances, are governed by our feelings, by our emotions, by the moment-to-moment cravings and longings that seem to override our lives. And in a moment, what you think is best might not actually be what's best. In a moment, what you feel is right might not be what is ultimately right. For Esau thought that it was right to give up his birthright in an immediate sense to satisfy an appetite that he didn't know how to manage well. One of the byproducts of the garden is the issue that now plagues creation in which we at least think we have the ability to bring judgment to things that are good and evil. When God says he is working all things together for good, it does not mean things that feel good. It does not mean things that you have determined are good by way of your own evaluation of what it is that God is doing and how that might affect you. In many instances, I'm trying to get you to understand how our own evaluation has gotten in the way of the conclusions that we've come to over time as to how our life is supposed to be lived out. From time to time, we find ourselves saying things like, oh, well, I agree with that. Well, I know that's what the Lord says, and I agree with it, so it must be good. We need to understand that whether or not God has our agreement, what he says is right is right, and what he says is wrong is wrong. And the powers of the air are seeking to get you to be ruled by your own thought process and evaluations and your own emotional instabilities that are going to sway you in the directions of your cravings. And Paul says that it's creating a course. John in 1 John 5, 19 would say, and we know that we belong to God and that the rest of the world, listen to this, here again we have two categories, and that the rest of the world is under the sway of the wicked one. We need to understand a sway is to move from one point to another. It's to encourage or to fuel a sort of directional or positional change. It's to lean in a particular direction. It's to be moved from a base point and to be swayed is the idea. And John says we understand that we belong to God. One category. 
But the rest of the world is under the sway of the wicked one. Two categories. Let me tell you what there's not. A third category. And there's an urgency that should hit our hearts. Because John says the rest of the world is under the sway of the wicked one. Paul says that all are living in an overindulgent, a self-indulgent way according to the mind and the flesh and it's creating a course. It starts this way. It starts with the seed. Who says I can't love who I want? Who says? Who says I can't respond to these feelings that I have the way that I want to? Who says I can't be attracted to children? Who says marriage has to be just between a man and a woman? Who says? Who says that I can't do whatever I want with my body? Who says? And what we have to begin to see is that the seed of the introduction of a thought or a thought process when not actually taken captive and brought obedient to Christ. For we don't wage war the same way the world does, but we have weapons that are divine in nature. They're powerful in God, even to the identifying and bringing down the absolute demolishing of strongholds. Because we tear down every high-minded thing that wants to exalt itself above the knowledge of God. It starts as a seed, the introduction of a thought or a thought process. And if we do not identify where the source of inspiration is actually coming from by bringing these thoughts captive and bringing them obedient to Jesus, then we find ourselves pondering over for more time than what we should have allowed certain things that have been lingering longer than they needed to be and roaming about on the inside. And once we find them roaming about on the inside long enough, we find certain things getting sown in the soil of our lives, in our hearts and in our minds, and they begin to build out and to construct a demonic desire that is alive on the inside. And now, because we've opened ourselves to the wielding of the rulers of the age and demonic inspiration, we're now thinking the way they want us to. We're now feeling the way that they want us to. And what we are thinking about begins to affect our behaviors of the mind and of the flesh. What we allow to roam about up here eventually gets lived out out here. And with one seed, one thought, the introduction of a thought here, the introduction of a thought there. Over time, we find an entire course that gets created in our culture. Over time, we find a wicked sway with great intensity that begins to happen because when one person begins to live out their truth and they begin to rally momentum by way of agreement, let me tell you, it doesn't matter how many people you rally around a lie, it will never make a lie the truth. 
It doesn't matter how much agreement you have. It doesn't matter how much energy it generates. It doesn't matter how many rallies you have going. It doesn't matter how many people fill the streets. All of that momentum and agreement will never take the thing that is a lie and turn it into the truth. And the powers of the air are looking to install their desires into the minds and hearts of people on the ground because that inspiration needs a human host. Because inspiration is looking for manifestation. There was a time when what we prayed for earlier in our nation was considered horrific. When abortion was considered horrific where even the thought of it and the consideration of the implications of what it was that we were suggesting or that people were actually doing, it was considered horrific. But in recent times, it's been brought to what is considered to be the highest court in all of the land. And the Supreme Court, because of the sway over time, because of the course of the world, because of the influence of the age, has been able to legalize because certain things have been normalized, an agenda that is not being inspired by God himself. And so many other points and turns, we are recognizing an attempt for the world around us to condition us and disciple us. And we are in a greater need now more than ever for real disciples of Jesus. For real disciples of Jesus. That sounds so simple, but when I say a real disciple, what I am talking about is somebody that has been born again. I'm talking about somebody who's had a real conversion experience where that old man and its old nature and all of the old appetites that were associated with that guy that used to live. I'm talking about the category of people that Paul would have referenced in 2 Corinthians 5, if any man is in Christ. He didn't just say if any man is in a church service. He said if any man is in Christ. Not if any man has memorized Bible verses. Man, all of these things are great. They have their place. But the devil knows the scriptures too. If any man is in Christ, that man has become a new creature. We need new creatures. We need new creatures. People that have been radically transformed by being born again. People that have the deposit of the Holy Ghost and that divine life and the power and the jealousy of that life has taken the old man and laid him in the grave. And now because of that, but God, the man that I used to be is no longer alive for by the grace of God, I am what I am, which means I used to be something and I am no longer the something thing that I used to be. But I realize that God has done something in me and that I'm a new creature. I'm a brand new version of human. This new creation is the people that God is using and employing in his mission. Paul said we live our lives now as ambassadors, as representatives, imploring men with the urgency of the hour. One translation says literally begging people while there's still time to be reconciled to God.
For God is not slow, Peter says, as you would consider slow to be. He hasn't lost interest. He's not disconnected, but he's patient because he has a desire that none would perish without coming to the place of repentance. Because when his son returns, there will be no more time to repent. There will be no more time to get right. There will be no more time to change what it is that we have bound up in our hearts about who God is and about what it is that he is after. John says that some of us are actually going to shrink back in shame at his appearing because we will not be able to change the content that is in our heart. We need people that have actually been born again. People that aren't just trying to fake it till they make it. We need people that have had a radical experience, that they're a new creature, they have a new appetite, they recognize that the old nature is gone, and because they've come alive to God, that God has been at work on the inside, and now by that grace that has been issued to them, it has made them something that they could never have been. We are not a normal people when we are born again. We are a brand new people because we are a brand new creature. And we need people that are new creatures that are actually being discipled by Jesus. <laughs> this is where for some of us it's not going to be that exciting. <laughs> we need new creatures that are actually being discipled by Jesus. Too many of us are being discipled by the culture. In any point, in any place, in any space, in your own heart and life where your discipleship is not coming through the scriptures and the influence of the spirit, then you have opened up your life to influence from another source. We are not looking to Fox and CNN and MSNBC for discipleship. You're not looking to the Oval Office or the White House or the Pentagon in order for discipleship. You should be looking deeply into the face of Jesus. You should be finding your discipleship methods and the fuel for that method by the scriptures and the influence of God's own spirit and the variety of ways that that influence has actually been made available to us. But too many of us are being discipled by the culture. We're being influenced by the culture. Our finances. We let the world tell us what we should be doing with our money. We're looking at business gurus and Silicon Valley and all of these other American dream entities with longings and hopes and appetites that have not yet actually been crucified and conformed to the image of Jesus. And we think that so long as we wear the Jesus t-shirt, we can love the world and be just like them. We need people that are actually being discipled by Jesus and not the world and the, infra the infrastructure of the age. Because Jesus has made it plain. There's an agenda that this spirit has in you. We've been given power to be a witness and not a witness unto our own desires. Not a witness unto our own uncrucified longings and cravings. We're to be a people that are in it, but are not of it. 
But if we are being conditioned by it and discipled by it, we will be no different than it. We will not be a provocative element in the midst of a wicked and corrupt generation. Because when we are just like them, when we have the same appetite as them, when we're given over to the same way of life as them, when we're being swayed in the same direction of them, then we are no longer a hope because we are just like them. We're not a city on a hill. We're not salt that actually brings real flavor and seasoning that's a provocative. We're none of these things. And Paul says that there's a sway that's happening right now. And the only way to come out of the sway is to be born again and to come alive to God. And then in coming alive to God, we must be disciples of Jesus. Which means Jesus has the final say as to the process and the destination of that discipleship. Where you just can't determine you're going to love Jesus your own way and put a demand that he now has to accept it. We don't get the right to determine the way that Jesus has said is best in order to make disciples. But he has laid out the program, the process, the components, the ingredients. He has given it to us already. And a great place to begin would be to look when Jesus sits down on the side of the mount in Matthew 5. And he begins to teach in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And he lays out the plan. These are the people that I'm looking to form. These are the people that if the work and the power of the spirit that I'm going to issue has its way in you, this is what kingdom life is now going to look like whenever it hits the ground. This is the goal of discipleship. The Sermon on the Mount the Beatitudes. This is the destination of Jesus's agenda for disciples. And it begins in Matthew 5. And he lays out seven things. And I know that we're incredibly familiar with them. And so I'm not going to read them one by one. But what I want to look at is the eighth thing that he mentions, starting in verse 9 of Matthew 5. He says, blessed are you when you are persecuted. How many of you consider persecution to be a blessing? Blessed are you when you're persecuted. What type of absurd statement is this? What type of nonsensical suggestion is this or exhortation is this? Blessed are you when you're persecuted and people actually find you and bring hatred to your doorstep because of the way that you're living for righteousness. But let me just suggest to you what the idea is. Jesus begins by laying out seven other things. And the eighth thing is the blessing of persecution. The idea is that if you live the first seven things, the byproduct of living the first seven things is going to be persecution. Because there is no way that you could live the first seven things and not actually become a confrontation to the culture. And so when you're living the first seven things in an authentic and powerful way, then the result of living in an authentic way as a disciple is going to be the culture is going to come for you. 
And the culture is going to try to cancel disciples. And possibly, if we are not experiencing persecution, then could it also mean that maybe we're not living the seven first principles in the way that he desires to form our lives? Because he's looking to release witnesses into our generation of people who are different, of people who are powerful because they're no longer bound, of people who are free from the tyranny of the powers of the age. In Romans 12, Paul's suggestion or exhortation would have been no longer conform to the pattern of this age. He's talking to believers. So don't automatically assume that you're no longer a part of the conversation. He's talking to believers. No longer pattern your life conforming to the influence and the system of this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Interesting that the powers of the age and the tyranny and the deception of the rulers of the age and the prince of the powers of the air is after what's happening in your mind. And he says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Which means, man, this Matthew 5, 6, we need to hunger and thirst after the right things. Those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, they shall be filled. Be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Paul says don't conform to the pattern or the system of this world and the tyranny of the age that we're living in because this age is trying to disciple you it wants to bend you in the direction of demonic desire which means the sway is created where you are over time moved away from what it is that God desires and the boundaries of his love and leadership for you and through this infiltration that happens in the mind and in the heart, we begin to believe things by way of being deceived. And when we are deceived, the establishment of strongholds on the inside where now there's a particular bondage that we are living in. And in most instances, we feel like we're right because of our own evaluation that's been done. We feel like we're right, and that's why we're deceived. Because we feel like we're right. But all of what we feel has to be brought subject to what it is that God says. And our feelings, our transformation has to come through subjection to God's leadership. And we need an intentional retraining of our appetites where the spirit on the inside begins to do the work to conform us to the right hungers, to conform us to the right thirsts, where what God says is right is what it is that we are after and we're hungering for righteousness, thirsting for righteousness. 
Because God is looking to pull the people out. Come out tonight. Come out from underneath the influence of the age. Come out from the demonic agenda and the inspiration of darkness that has caused the construction of a course of the world by the spirit of the age. Come out tonight. Through all of the familiar opinions and voices, through all of the seemingly right motivated people that have influenced us over time, come out. Because God pulls people out so that he can create a confrontation to bring hope to those that are bound in the system. It is his way. It is his way. He pulls people out. And he forms them and conforms them. And makes them a confrontation. And that confrontation brings hope to the prisoner. It brings hope to the captive. Let my people go. Moses would have been raised up. And we understand the miracle of Moses' beginnings. But it says that he would have been raised up. And as he was raised up in Pharaoh's house, raised up in an Egyptian palace, he recognized this peculiar call that was on his life. He recognized this deliverance issue or burden that he carried. He knew that there was something that was on him. There was something that one day God would have him to do. But it says in Exodus 2 that he came out one day and he saw a Hebrew fighting with an Egyptian. And it says that he took matters into his own hands. Man, we all know the story. It says that he took matters into his own hands and that he murdered the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. And that sometime after that, two Hebrews were fighting. They said, what are you going to do? Are you going to do the same thing to us? It says when Pharaoh caught word, he wanted to murder Moses. And Moses fled the scene. And God pulled him out into a desert place. God pulled him out into a place of brokenness and obscurity. God pulled him out into a place where he could conform him and ready him for the way that he wanted to use him, for Moses to walk out the things that he was feeling he bore upon his own life as a burden to be a deliverer to his people. And sometime after being out in the desert, it says that Moses was walking by in Exodus 3, and he realized that there was a bush that was on fire. And when he realized that the bush was not consumed, it says that he turned and gave all of his attention to it. And in giving all of his attention to it, then a voice came out of the bush and said, take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And God reveals himself, for I am the God of your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And God begins to reveal to him his acknowledgement 
of the suffering of his people. Let me just encourage you. God knows, as we heard last night, the ways that we suffer. And he is deeply and intimately involved. He hears the cries. He's moved because of the covenant that he's made with his people. He's burdened by it, and he's longing to raise up a messenger, a laborer, one who would be a witness for him. And he encounters Moses through the fire in the bush. And that bush has a way of redefining Moses' life and bringing a seeming pivot in a critical moment to redirect Moses' life. Because let me encourage you, the fire will always find you. Moses had to be brought out of a system because he started to behave like them. Moses had to be pulled out of something because that something had gotten up on the inside of him. And there was a thought process that he was given over to that he saw right in order to act upon what he was thinking and feeling. Are you seeing a connection point? He saw it was right to act on what it was that he was thinking and what it was that he was feeling. And so God pulled him out and put him out in the desert for 40 years so that he could put him in a place of isolation and brokenness. And let me tell you where the fire finds you. The fire rarely finds you when there's large crowds. The fire rarely finds you when you're riding the tidal wave of influence and popularity. The fire found Moses 40 years after he thought that it was his moment for God to use him. The fire found Moses when he was broken of all of his self-dependencies. What did he say to God in response? Why are you looking for me now? Why are you deciding that now is the time for this? You should have found me 40 years ago when I was the man. You should have come to me when at least I had strength to offer. You should have come to me when I was mighty in word and in deed. Now I can't even talk. I've been so broken over time that even my speech has been affected by the process that you've put in place in my life. I'm not what I used to be. Oh, I know. I'm not somebody that I think is even fit for use anymore. Oh, I'm, I'm aware of that. I wish you would have come to me at an earlier time when I could have been successful, when I could have brought something to the table, when I could have given you all of the best of what I feel as a contribution to the cause. But God pulls a man out into the middle of nowhere and he tucks him away let me, maybe you've never thought about this. It took 40 years for Moses to be broken of all of his own self-dependencies. How capable of a man must Moses have been if it took 40 years to break him in a certain way? The fire rarely finds you in the moment where you've determined it would be best for you to have more fire. Because the fire is not something for you to leverage towards your own purpose. 
The fire is not something for you to harness so that you can just sprinkle a little bit of it onto your cause. The fire is not so that you can ride the flames into a greater place of prominence or influence or prestige. The fire is not something that is going to integrate in to your way of life that you are going to be able to determine the best use for it. Let me tell you where the fire typically finds you. The, the fire typically finds you when you don't feel like you have anything else to offer. The fire usually finds you when you've been broken of every single way that you've tried to make it happen over time. The fire usually finds you in moments where the pathway of brokenness where the process of being conformed in a real way to his image, where we don't graduate from dependency, the fire usually finds you when you don't actually know what the use for the fire would best be anymore. Why are you looking for me now? I don't even know what to do with fire now. If you would have come to me 40 years ago, baby, I had a plan for the fire. I had a ministry logo. Boy, I had invitations set up. If you'd have given me the fire when I was ready for the fire, I'd have known what to do with the fire. The fire usually finds you when you're broken. But we have to understand that the fire even has an agenda. The fire got all of Moses' attention. We have to stop flirting with the fire. The fire got all of Moses' attention. Does the fire have all of your attention? The fire was issued to bring Moses into a greater place of beholding. He turned from everything else and gave his attention to the fire. Man, I'm believing that the Lord is going to touch our hearts tonight with a holy flame. That there's going to be a suddenly where the wind blows and the fire does fall. But not just so that we can dance around the fire and then go back to the way that we've determined we want to live our lives. Because the fire is not looking to integrate to your way of life. But the fire is looking to purify everything that is not in alignment with the way of life that God has desired for you. The fire is supposed to refine. The fire is supposed to purify. The fire is supposed to sift. But the fire is supposed to bring us into a greater place of beholding. Where it gets all of our attention and we turn away from every other and every other thing because of what it is that God has established in the bush of my heart. And when Moses gave it all of his attention, then the voice came out. Man, some of us have been waiting to hear from God, but you have not yet determined that he's worth your attention. You have not yet determined that he's worth all of your attention. The fire should bring us to a greater place of beholding where we stop everything else 
to tend to the flame of love in our hearts, to gaze deeply into the face of Jesus, where the beauty and the worth of Jesus has so overtaken our lives, where now it's not just some casual side thing. It's not a peripheral issue. It's not a Sunday 60-minute thing. But I've been overwhelmed. I've been overtaken. It's an obsession now. I see him, and I see him rightly. And the flame that he's put in my heart is what I want to tend to. Moses turned and gave the flame all of his attention. And out of that fire came a voice. Man, I thank God for the place where the fire found me. I thank God for the place where the fire found me. You see, some of us, we've been flirting with the flame for too long. And God is looking for those that are going to be faithful with the fire. He's looking for those that are actually going to allow the fire to accomplish its work in our lives. Because the fire comes with an agenda. The fire wasn't for entertainment value alone in the life of Moses. But what was issued out of the fire was a redefining moment in the life of Moses. Man, some of us need a redefining moment in our lives. Man, maybe you've walked your own way. Maybe you've tried to carry the thing that you knew God wanted to do in your life by your own strength. Maybe you've reached all types of opposition. Maybe you've turned in a million directions that were the wrong directions because you were trying to carry out or you were trying to steward well by your own thinking the thing that you knew God was saying. And maybe right now where you're sitting, you feel like you failed. Maybe you feel like you failed because things didn't go the way that you thought they would. Maybe you feel like you failed because of some of the decisions that you made and how it seemed to derail the things that were happening in the moment. Maybe you feel like you failed because your identity now has gotten redefined because of the issues or the seeming changing of events that has happened in your life. God found a broken man out in the middle of nowhere and said, I still want to use you the way that I told you I long to use you. But there's no way that I could have let it happen your way. Because somewhere along the way, everything that we were doing would have gotten derailed because you would have been fueling it by your own evaluation. And the fire finds a man that's broken and it redefines him. Man, I'm believing that there's gonna be a redefining tonight where God is gonna strip off of your heart and out of your mind and off of your life all of the lies that you've been telling yourself and coming into agreement with where God is going to strip away all of the false sense of identity, whether it be that you're just given over to your own opinions, or maybe it's the issues that have been created over time that have now attempted to redefine you. You are none of those things. And the fire redefines him, but the fire also redirects him.
You're not going back to the sheepfold, Moses. We have a changing of trajectory. You see, the fire has a way of changing our trajectory. The fire has a way of redirecting us. And I'm believing that tonight when the fire touches your heart and when the fire hits your life, that it's actually going to redirect some of us. Some of us that have been walking according to the course of the world. Some of us that have been given over to the spirit of the age and the influence of our culture. Some of us that have been conditioned and discipled by our own evaluation and the things that the world has celebrated and esteemed and the things that our age has said is right for us. Those of us that have been discipled by these things, I believe that the fire is going to hit our life and it is going to create a redirection where we come out from under the influence of the spirit of the air. And where now we are redirected through the tender flame of love that God is going to issue to remind us of who it is that he is and in relationship to him, who it is that we are. And he sends Moses as a witness. He sends Moses as a confrontation. Stand against the system. Stand against Pharaoh and his kingdom. And release this declaration. Let my people go. God is looking for a people who will rise to the occasion. Who will realize the power that is at work on the inside who have been conformed to the image of his son and who come to the system of the age, to the kingdoms of this world, to the tyranny of Pharaoh and the prince of the power of the air to say, let my people go. And the announcement of the gospel, even as we heard it this morning, is the hope that you don't have to live the remainder of your life as a prisoner. You don't have to remain a captive. You don't have to stay any longer dead in your trespasses and sins, but you can repent and come alive to God and you can be turned or translated out of the kingdom of darkness and brought into the kingdom of the dominion of his son. And he sends Moses as a witness. He sends John the Baptist as a witness. And John rises in the wilderness. He becomes visible. He has an appearing, Mark 1, 4 says. And he rises, having been pulled out of a system that he's now a confrontation to. He rises, seeming with unction and prophetic urgency and power. He rises, this wild man out in the wilderness who will not be tamed. No one will calm him down. He's not just going to sit by. He's not just going to play or abide by the rules of engagement. He's not interested in the course of the world or the conditioning by the spirit of the age. But John has been pulled out and in his moment he rises out in the wilderness and he too has an announcement. I am a voice crying 
Make straight paths for the coming of the Lord. Where are those that are going to be a part of this company of people in our generation that are going to rise? These wild ones, these fiery ones that are going to make straight paths for the coming again of the Lord. Second Peter 3 says that we are those who look and hasten the day of his coming again. There's an urgency, there's an aggressiveness for the kingdom suffereth violence, but violent ones actually rise and lay hold of it. John rises in the wilderness and he has an announcement, behold the lamb. For we know that in these last days and leaning in closer towards the end of the age, that there is going to be a unified cry for the spirit and the bride will say, come. The spirit and the bride will say, come. I believe with all of my heart that tonight in this room, God is going to have some of us step in front of the burning bush. And the burning bush is going to be a confrontation of our past and future. The burning bush is going to bring a redefining on our lives. And it's going to bring a redirection. And there's going to be a company of people that rise on the other side of these days of gatherings. That are going to be lovers that God turns into laborers. And in your sphere of influence, you're going to begin to make straight paths for the coming again of the Lord. That in your respected space and place where God has called that your calling or your place of full-time ministry, that you are beginning to create straight ways for the coming again of the Lord. And I believe that this is what it is that the Lord is longing to touch your life with tonight. With a fresh fire that is going to break the influence of the world in our hearts. Break the influence of the world in our hearts. In any space or place where its agenda may seem to be advancing in the place of our desires. But this Psalm 45, seven people that loves what he loves and hates what he hates, that unto these they will be smeared with the oil of joy. Do you love what he loves? And do you hate what he hates? Do you love what he loves? And do you hate what he hates? The fire is coming to refine our lives. The fire is coming to create the fuel for our discipleship. Where our faithfulness to the flame will put us in the process of discipleship that Jesus desires and not the one that our world or culture has says is appropriate. 
where we are not Christians simply that our culture has defined, but where our lives would be defined by the desires of Jesus and we would be discipled by his love and the fire of his own love in our lives that is creating a pure love for what he loves and hate for what he hates. And our announcement in this hour will to be behold the lamb and make a straight path for his coming again. I'm gonna ask you to stand with me tonight. If our team could come back and help me. All over the room, I'm going to ask you to stand there right where you're standing. Just close your eyes for a moment. Lord, all over the room. All over the room, I'm asking you that right now, in each one of our hearts, would you illuminate what's happening on the inside? Would you bring exposure Thoughts, thought processes, seeds sown over time, the infiltration to the infrastructure of our lives. Would you shine a bright light? Would you shine a bright light and help us to see the spaces and the places where the sway of the wicked one or the course of the world has created an influence that has created a deviation from what you have called the plan or the way. Just like it is, even in our own culture, we think at some points, how did we end up here? How did things get so exaggerated or blown out of proportion? How did this agenda seem to become normalized and to infiltrate so many spaces and places in our culture or our society at large? I'm asking you, Lord, to expose a thought that was proposed to us. I'm asking you, Lord, to reveal a suggestion or a thought process that was an invitation that we didn't recognize was unto a specific bondage, 
Because in the moment, it promised to satisfy us. Because it seemed to be leading us in the direction of something we thought or felt we wanted or had evaluated and come to the conclusion that it should be right for us. Lord, search far and wide on the inside. Search far and wide on the inside. We want to be deliverers, but some need to be delivered. Deliver us, Lord. Deliver us, Lord. Lord, right now, all over the room, all over the room, I pray for grace to expose the seed that was sown. I pray for grace to expose the initial invitation It wouldn't be a lure if it wasn't effective. Over time, perspectives and paradigms have been constructed within our own hearts and lives because of the seed of thoughts that we allowed to linger longer without taking them captive and bringing them obedient to Jesus. And Lord, I'm asking you for the shattering of perspectives and paradigms, whole worldviews that have created ways of life, lenses and filters through which we interact with others and even circumstances themselves. Lord, this is the sway. This is the course the initial inspiration that created a whole system that now our life is being governed by. Lord, give grace. Give grace. It doesn't matter what's being normalized in the world. Certain things that are normalized in the world are not normalized to God. Lord, from the simplest thing to the most complex thing. From the simplest thing to the seemingly most complex thing. Identify every point of influence. The source of our appetites our longings, our cravings. Give grace, Lord. 
for these things to be torn down. We tear down every high-minded thing that wants to exalt itself above the knowledge of God. We tear down every thought, every thought process, every filter, every lens, every way, every sway, the course in our own hearts. We tear down every single way that is long to exalt itself above the knowledge of God. And we pray that out of this room, you would set lovers on fire, that you would deliver them from the tyranny of the age and raise them up to be deliverers in this hour of history, that you would raise them up, those who would be faithful to the flame, Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We pray that it has fanned into flame the love that you have for him. If you would like more information about Burning Ones, you can subscribe to our YouTube channel, follow us on social media, visit our website, burningones.org, or download our app.